can't really sing. <laughs> yeah. La 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 what is up and welcome to the SBNY podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can find it simply by searching Sports Blog New York Podcast. And if you like what you have been hearing, leave us a rating and a review because that goes a hell of a long way in the iTunes podcast world. So we appreciate every listener and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Also, this podcast is sponsored by JM Mancave Sports. You can follow them on Instagram at JM Mancave Sports. And they're hooking us up in a combination with our NCAA Bracket Challenge on ESPN with an autographed picture of Magic Johnson from the 1992 NBA All-Star Game. So shout out to JM Mancave Sports. Again, you can follow them on Instagram. And also on our Twitter, you can find the link to their Instagram as well as a link to our first ever NCAA bracket challenge show fill out that bracket and if you didn't do so yet I would wait to the end of this podcast because me and my co-host today are going to be giving you all you need to know for Thursday to start with the NCAA tournament my co-host today is Joe Calabrese you've heard him before and he is back ready to spit fire on the NCAA tournament what is up man how you doing how you doing pleasure to be back I'm very excited this is one of my favorite times of the year I was excited. I was working Selection Sunday in the the CBS Broadcast Center. It was very lively. This year, more so than any other year ever, there are many, many good teams. Always great teams, but this is the year where we kind of started seeing uh, a lot more depth, a lot more quality teams, and the the bracket kind of speaks to me this year. It's very lively. It's been very, very fun to, to, to go through and look at the matchups so far. So uh, in the next hour, we're going to be going through some of the matchups. We're going to be talking about some of the storylines. We're going to be talking about specific teams, where they're seated. And as of right now, over the last couple of hours, we've been doing a Twitter Q&A. So follow us on Twitter at SportBlogNYC. Uh, we're currently taking your questions. We're currently answering them. We're doing the very best we can to answer them, and uh, we're going to use some of the the questions on tonight's podcast. So we'll we'll incorporate that as the show goes on. Yeah, of course. And like Joe said, some of the best questions will get mentioned and answered in depth because you know you can do a lot with 140 characters, but you can't you can't tell the whole story. So some of the best questions we're going to get into throughout this podcast. So listen for that. Maybe maybe your name will get shouted out if you ask a good question at Sportblog NYC. But just one more time, just to, to reiterate, I want to re- remind you guys again, fill out your bracket for the SBNY first ever NCAA Tournament Challenge. That's in combination with at JM Man Cave Sports on Instagram, hooking us up with the Magic Johnson 1992 All-Star Edition autograph picture. So we got a lot to talk about today. Oh, yeah, we do. And I want to start off with, you mentioned you were working in uh, at, you know. I was in the CBS Broadcast Center. Exactly. Worked for CBS Sports uh, during Selection Sunday, so that was a lot, a lot of fun. You were at your job. I was at my job. And I saw that on your Snapchat, one of your coworkers predicted every single team well, to make the tournament. Is C- that correct? CBSSports.com's uh, college basketball insider and writer, Jerry Palm who is one of the well-known bracketologists, just like Joe Lenardi for ESPN, he correctly predicted all 68 teams 
in this year in the field of 68 for this year's NCAA tournament. So very special shout out to my coworker, Mr. Palm. He is very good at what he does. He was one of the very first guys who had Syracuse out of the tournament early, which has been uh, very controversial. But he got the field of 68 correct. Didn't get it perfectly correct. There were some teams he had as in his last four in. Uh, two of them, one of them including Vanderbilt, were very comfortably in. But still, it, it, there's no exact science picking it. And getting the field of 68 correct is very tough to do. So once again, congratulations to him. Did an excellent job. Oh, absolutely. That is impressive. He got 68 teams correct. That's all the teams. May, yeah, like you said, he didn't get numbers one seeding right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, blah, 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 blah. But he picked every correct team, and that is impressive to say the least. Now, before we move on to talk about the seeding, because I think that's a super interesting topic, how did, how did you do in your prediction? I, uh, I didn't list all 68 teams. There were, there were a couple of... Uh, there were a couple of teams that I thought were better than their seedings, a couple of teams that I thought were worse than their seedings, but I think this is this is a great segue. We're going to begin to talk about this. Yeah, so let's start, let's start off with the one that you talked about right away. So Syracuse is a team that you see in the tournament basically year in and year out. Correct. And this year they're not in. They are not in the tournament, correct. Do you, did you agree or disagree? I initially, about last week... When a couple of the bubble teams still hadn't established themselves, I believe that they should have been in the last four in discussion because of the quality wins that they had. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that they had six wins against the top 50 teams in the country. They had nine wins against the top 100. But here was the major problem with Syracuse, and we're just going to touch on this very, very shortly before we actually start to get to the actual teams in the field and the seating. Syracuse did not win many games actually didn't win any quality games away from the Carrier Dome this year. Last year was very different. Their resume last year was just as good as it was this year, but they had wins away from the Dome, and it was much easier to put them in as a 10 and 11 seed. Last year they were 10 seed, they went to the Final Four. This year, unfortunately, there were just four or five teams ahead of them that were slightly better. Teams including Kansas State, Wake Forest, Providence, USC, all four teams playing in the, the two 11 seed play-in games that also includes teams like Vanderbilt, teams like Wichita State, who ended up winning the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. So a lot of Q's grads, a lot of New York uh, college students who were upset about Q's not getting in. Unfortunately, that's the nature of the beast. They don't miss the tournament very often, and usually when they're in the tournament, they're always a threat to go to the Final Four. They Before this year, they had appeared in two of the last four Final Fours, so... The Orange, unfortunately, were out. Yes, and you know what? This is my whole take on the situation with you know people complaining about seeding, people complaining about last four and last four out, that whole thing. Only 68 teams are going to make the tournament each year. Right. So there's only so much you can do, and if your resume isn't... Like, if you're a bubble team, right? There's a reason you're a bubble team. You're either almost in or you're almost out. So if you end up out, I'm sorry you didn't make it. That is how I feel. I don't have, I don't have an I don't have sorrow for these teams that are complaining that they didn't make. It. I don't have the time to break down the sixty eighth, sixty ninth, seventieth, seventy first best teams in the country. That's, no, nobody's that's, got time. For nobody's that. got time for that. The, the thing that they should have time for, and this is going over an overarching storyline for me. People love to complain about seating. Oh my God! How did Florida get a four? They're not four worthy. They should be a six. And then you get to Wisconsin. They're an eight. How are they an eight? They're an all-time team. They're an all-time school. They should be higher than that. 
other than Wichita State, who I think has a completely legitimate gripe, do you get all this complaining about seeding? Because to me, it's just bothersome. I think what the committee likes to do, and I don't know if this is honestly true or not, I think for the most part, 90% of the time, they get the seeding spot on. And it's very hard to list 1 to 68 in order. It's not an exact science. It is not an exact science. And what we've noticed in the last couple of years is that they like to to send teams to specific locations as sort of sort of as an, a reward for doing well during the regular season. Now, an example of this will be, I'm going to lead you right into our seating discussion. We're going to start with the East region, correct? Mm-hmm. The number one overall team in the tournament is Villanova. Big East tournament champion. They defeated Seton Hall in a, in a very close game, a rematch of last year at the Garden. Speaking of the Garden, the East Regional is at Madison Square Garden. So for a team like Villanova, the number one overall team in the tournament, going to, to, to New York City an hour and a half away from where they play in Philadelphia, that is a, a big reward for them. And that's what the committee tries to do. They try to reward teams by sending them to locations that uh, reward their, their overall body of work during the regular season and the postseason conference tournament. So when the committee's going through all these teams, they're not looking at Villanova's bracket and saying, oh, they're actually going to be in a tough bracket because they have to face Wisconsin in round two. They're not thinking We're of trying that. to reward their where they're trying to reward them by putting them in the East, which is where they're from. Right. Rewarding them in a different way. Right. And I believe there's another team as well. Was it South Carolina? Uh, who is gonna who may end up if they win playing in their home stadium? Maybe it wasn't South Carolina. Well, what I'll, I, I'll look what I do that. know right now is that uh, looking on the the bracket that I have, that pod includes the two fifteen game. Which you know what? Let's just let's just go through this. Yeah, let's go first. through it. We'll get into it as we go. So in the East, we have Villanova as the one, Duke as the two, Baylor at the, as the three, Florida rounding out the top four. Correct. So we're not going to name one through sixteen because we're gonna we're gonna touch on the main four and then interesting teams throughout. Because let's be real, and I'm gonna say this now, and you're gonna hear me say it over and over again: the odds for a team that is not a one, two, three, or four to make it deep in the tournament, and when I say deep, I mean elite eight or better is very slim. If you look at the numbers, and I don't have them up in front of me right now, I'll pull them up as we go, the number is is telling. It really is telling that 1, 2s, 3s, or 4s are the teams that end up in the Elite 8 and further. Yes, that is correct. Historically, so, the math checks out. So talk about those four teams, Nova, Duke, Baylor, and Florida. What teams jump out to you? What teams are <laughs> lacking? As of right bottom? now, as of right now, the team that jumps out to me, obviously, the most is Duke. Now, Duke kind of struggled during the regular season. They, they have an interesting mix of young talent. They've got guards who can play. Freshman guard Jason Tatum is incredible. He can get to the rim at will. He can create his own shot. Uh, guard Grayson Allen, he's been in the news this year. Mm-hmm. He's had a lot of problems, a lot of with the tripping incidents. Uh, Luke Kennard. And Harry Giles round out a very interesting group for Duke. Now, they had to deal with some issues during the regular season. Coach K had the back surgery, which knocked him out for a few games. They were kind of inconsistent. However, they were able to round themselves enough into form and win enough quality games to, to continue to oppress people. They went to the ACC Conference Tournament as a five seed, became the first team to win the ACC Conference Tournament uh, by winning four games in four days. 
Now they they against some real competition too. Let's let's throw that in there. Their their quarterfinal game was against Louisville, and Louisville is a two seed in the Midwest region, which we'll get to in a little while. That that says something about the quality and the depth and the strength of the ACC. But right off the bat, Duke Duke went from being a four seed, kind of off the grid. Now they're a two seed. Now they have a very easy draw to the Final Four. And going to touch on what we started talking about before in their pod. Looking at my bracket right now, their pod is the Greenville-South Carolina one. As of right now, their first-round matchup is against 15-seed Troy. They would face the winner of a 7-seed South Carolina and a 10-seed Marquette. Now, Greenville's not too far from where Duke plays, right? Right. North Carolina, South Carolina, tomato, tomato, right? But if they're playing against South Carolina... So what is, doesn't it basically even out if South Carolina I, I, knocks off Marquette? You you beat you would <laughs> you underestimate just how well these major schools and their their crazy students and their fan bases can travel. If you, maybe if it was football, the Gamecocks would have a better chance getting a crap. Correct, <laughs> correct. So that 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 doesn't necessarily matter. I happen to like Duke's draw to the Final Four a lot. I think they they are one of the two or three programs in this tournament right now that absolutely has an easy, easy path to the Final Four if they can take care of business. Now, going to move on. Uh, we're going to get back to Duke in a little while. Uh, yes, okay, yeah. So you just talked about Duke for a minute, and I want to talk about who may their best competitor be in that pod, as you yes. like to call it. So we had a, a Twitter question. It was leading on the witness, if you will. Right. So Bennett Mann, at BennettMann94, tweeted at NYC and said, Nova repeat highly likely question mark. Nova returns a lot of uh, talent from last year's team. This includes potential national player of the year Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson, who has started every game for the Wildcats this season. They are an incredibly, incredibly talented bunch. Oh, that includes Chris Jenkins too, man who hit the, the champion, the the game winning shot in the national championship. One of the most game. memorable shots of all time. Yes, Nova in particular, has a tougher path getting back to the Final Four and getting to Arizona than Duke does because they have to deal with a potential game against number 8 seed Wisconsin in round 2. And Wisconsin tends to play very strong perimeter defense. They slow the game down, and they have some size. Nova does not necessarily have that guy on the interior who can clean up the glass as as much. Uh, The Badgers have a forward by the name of Ethan Hatt, and he has led the team at points, rebounds, steals, and blocks this year. Wow. He's been Mr. Mr. Do-It-All. So to answer our Twitter question, is a Nova repeat highly likely? I don't think so because I think the toughest team and the best team in this region is actually the two-seeded Duke. And I tend to agree with you, I think, for two main reasons. And I'm going to go... I mean, your knowledge is, is clear. It's evident. If you're a listener and you don't think this man, Joe Calabrese, knows what he's talking about, I don't know what to tell you. Stop, this guy, butter, stop buttering me up. This guy's spitting out knowledge. He, he, has, he has some notes. I'm not going to lie. But his notes are, are bare minimum. This is, this is knowledge in the brain that he just has off the top any moment you catch him. You catch him on the street on his way to work, ask him a question, he's got it. So at BennettMan94, Joe Calabrese and I agree, his – Point goes more towards the fact of their route is much harder. My main point is that the chances of a repeat are just statistically very, very hard. When you make a run all the way to a Final Four, through a Final Four, and win a championship, 
it is just not likely for you to make it back, and if you make it back, to win. And I'm taking all on-court analysis out of this. A repeat is just super challenging, and that is why I would just stay away from Nova. I would stay away from Nova, too. The last... for, the, for, the, for the win. I mean, I'm picking them to get to the Elite Eight. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying... No, they're a strong candidate to get back to the Elite Eight. To repeat I, a I, national championship is so challenging that you just it's, you can't bet on it smartly. No, you can't. The last team to do it was Florida, who won the championship in back-to-back years in 2006 and 2007. Coincidentally enough, in 2007 when they did it, they were the number one overall seed in the tournament. Wow. But here's, here's something a little bit different. That Florida team was more of a well-rounded team. They had Joakim Noah and Al Horford... On the interior, two players who ended up being uh, terrific NBA pros. And they also had guards, including uh, Torian Green and forward Corey Brew, who actually won the most outstanding player of that Final Four year. So they, they returned... Just, have a, they return just as wait, much I'm, I'm going to cut you off for a second. We have a, we have a puppy. We have a big doggy running around right now. I don't know if you guys can hear him or not, but when you're recording a podcast talking NCAA tournament on Sports Blog New York Podcast on iTunes, and you got a dog running in wreaking havoc, throws you off for a second. But how you doing? This dog is adorable. We'll throw a picture up on Twitter of him. Hopefully. <laughs> but let's get back into we'll what get we're back to, We'll about. get back to Florida. We'll get back to the Nova talk. It's just very hard for a team to repeat. There's a reason why it only happens once every 15 to 20 years. Uh, so I would like to move on. Yes. We're gonna, we'll, we'll cover the three and the four seeds in this region before we move on to the Midwest. Let's go to number three, Baylor, who has had some problems getting out of the, their first game in recent years. And I want to take it back to Twitter. We're going to go to at Maki a bird, yeah, which is a great Twitter name, right? Uh, <laughs> Can you repeat that one, actually? Uh, at Maki a bird, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Hell, hell yeah. Uh, Asks us a question, does SMU take down Baylor and Duke? Now, he's looking ahead a little bit over here, and SMU is the team to, a lot of people say, is, is, is the team to watch out in this region because of their stud transfer from Duke. See what I did there? Yes. Semi Ojelia. In the same pot. Yes. So... We're going to tie this all up together. Baylor in recent years has been a very popular pick to get through, but they've always consistently disappointed. And now people are starting to ask the question, are they, are they going to get upset in the 314 game now? SMU is on the rise. They finished the, they finished the, the, the season as the number 11 ranked team in the AP poll. That is a game that I would watch out for in round two. If you're looking to pick Baylor, I would be safe picking them in the first game, would not be safe picking them in the second game. And unfortunately, as good as those two teams have been this season, I don't think they quite match up to Duke because now that Grayson Allen is coming off the bench, the Blue Devils are a much deeper team. They're, not only are their first units going to give teams fits, but their second units are going to give teams fits as well. And that's interesting. And going to another Twitter question, we have at jman3105 asking, Chance Baylor reaches the Elite Eight, assuming they return to early season form. I don't know how you can assume to return to early season form. Well, early in the season, they were very strong. They had the best quality wins in the country. Baylor, early in the season, beat Louisville. That was one of their very, very very strong wins. And I'm personally a huge fan of Louisville. So Baylor's got a big guy in the middle. His name is Jonathan Motley. And 
we we have since gone away from the the whole old fashioned style of play where big men used to matter. Now it's a guards game, more so than ever. Not just in the NBA, it's become a guards game in the college, the, the the collegiate level. So Baylor does have some really quality early season wins. However, their guard play to me is a little suspicious, and I really do believe that overall. Villanova has better guard play. Duke's got better guard play. SMU's got better guard play. Even South Carolina with Darius Thornwell has some better guard play. Marquette, uh, I'll be honest with you, I can't even, I don't remember Marquette's guards off the top of my head. So that that is unfortunately something I can't answer. But the reason why Baylor's consistently from behind, play from behind is that they don't have those, those players out in the perimeter who can match up with these other teams. So, so there, there's some good analysis from Joe Calabrese on the Eastern region. Uh, so if you if you got a feel, I think him and I kind of agree on the sense that Duke seems like the strongest candidate to, to come appear, out of this to region. appear right. yeah, to come out on top of that region. And let me give we you. We feel okay about Nova, but we don't feel super confident about Nova. My dark horse team to get yeah, out of get this region that. is Wisconsin, because early in the season, I hated them. I didn't think they had enough quality wins. During the Big Ten tournament, they played very, very well, and they're always a team that seems to peak late. And I'm a big fan of the matchups. And if Wisconsin didn't draw such a good matchup, I would have them out in the first round. But I think the first round, the 8-9 game, Virginia Tech, is a very winnable game. I think they match up very, very well with Villanova. And I happen to think that potentially Florida and uh, Virginia are the 4-5s and in this region. They are the most likely candidates to lose in the first round. My upset special in this region is UNC Wilmington over Virginia as in the 5-12 game in the opening round. And I definitely believe that East Tennessee State, an excellent rebounding team, can end up giving some uh, Florida some fits. So, you know, you always see those 5-12s. Everybody wants to know, and I, I believe somebody on Twitter asked specifically that question, what will be the 5-12 this year? That is a, ver- a one that you may it's not very- hear all, as much as, you know, you hear Nevada a lot. Because you've seen them in the tournament before. Right. You know, We've also you hear, heard stuff about Middle Tennessee State. Exactly, which we'll get into when we get across to the other but regions. But I love UNC Wilmington. I love their ability to score. They could shoot the heck out of the ball. They shoot lights out. They could score every which way. They're – I forgot to set off the top of my head. I'm going to try to get to it. But they're, they're a team that could throw up 90 very easily. Virginia's going to be hard because they play some defense, and they'll keep the game in the 60s and the 70s. But uh, generally speaking, that is the 5-12. That is the upset to watch in this region. My Elite Eight pick, though, I'm going chalk, is going to be Villanova and Duke. Duke is my pick to go to the Final Four from the East. And uh, not to agree with you, but to agree with you, I picked the exact same thing. I have Nova-Duke meeting in that same round. And it's the safe pick, but this is also my point on uh, the bracket in general. You know, you can go as much, as deep as you want trying to break down on-court analysis. But when it comes down to it, you just know sometimes that certain teams are better than others. And Villanova and Duke are clearly the two best teams in this bracket. And when there's two clear best teams, there's a good chance they end up on top. So it's likely to see them in the Elite Eight. But Wisconsin's a team to look out for. Those five and four in Virginia and Florida, tough road ahead of them. Uh, but the East region is, in a way, one of the less interesting ones, in my opinion. So we're going to move on I agree. to the Midwest. And I don't know, I'm going to ask you a quick, this is, quick this, question for oh you. Boy, oh boy, here we go. Am I in the minority of people who don't 
always know east, midwest, south, whatever, and just say top left, <laughs> top top left, top right, bottom left, bottom Correct. right. No, you are. Yeah. Am I in the minority or am I in no, the No, you're not in the minority. You're there, I, I know a lot of people who refer to that as the same thing too. Okay, so before we move I know, on, I think, I, I think I know, I think I know more people who refer to it as the left side or the right side of the bracket. Exactly. So uh, before we move on, I just, there's four people who who do NCAA tournaments to me. So you got the person who is a NCAA basketball freak. Maybe right. say I'll say like you, someone like me. Who, who watches NCAA basketball all year long, who knows a ton of players, who knows a ton of teams, and is able to make smart and thoughtful decisions to fill out their bracket. The next person is somebody, say, kind of like me, slightly follows college ball, watches games here and there, knows players, especially NBA prospects. I love my NBA prospects. But I don't know enough about UNC Wilmington to make a real pick, so I do some research. So you got the person who knows ahead of time. Then you got the person who knows a little bit and does his research beforehand to make his picks. Then you got somebody who knows a little bit and says, screw it, I'm picking off a whim. And then you got that last person who says, I don't know absolutely nothing I'm just going to pick, and I'm probably going to do better than all of you guys. And usually it's the last person who always wins your bracket pool. <laughs> Isn't it true, though? So if somehow, you're one of those people... Somehow they, they don't know what they're doing, but they'll luck into putting the right good teams in the final four. Exactly. At a championship and it happens That's usually how it happens. Which is why when I'm filling out my bracket, especially these past couple years, keep it simple. I'm trying to keep it simple. I pick my upsets here and there. When I pick an upset, they don't go further than one or two rounds. And I picked my good teams to be in the Elite Eight and Final Four. That's just me. Let's move on to the Midwest. Let's move on to the Midwest. Give me the top four seeds in the Midwest. So in the Midwest, we got on the top, we got Kansas. Uh, basically a number one seed like every single year. It every seems. single year. So we have Kansas as a number one seed. Number two seed, we got Louisville. Number three, Oregon. Very interesting team this year. And then at four, not a very interesting team. We got Purdue. Yeah, but they do add a, a big guy that I like, Swanigan. You ever heard of him? He's good. He's, He's real very good. good. How good? Good enough to help Probably them. Probably right now the top, uh, maybe not the top team? big man. One of the best three or four best big men in the country. Uh, Purdue, in recent years, they've kind of been shaky too. I think they're a legit Sweet 16 threat this year. Oh, okay. Let's, we'll, 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 we'll talk about the, the seeds in order first. So what's your, uh, what's your overarching storyline for the Midwest? The top right, if you will. The top right, the Midwest region. This is the chaos region. This is the region where I think 1 to 12 have the best quality teams. Maybe not the top two or three teams, but overall balance-wise, the quality of teams 1 to 12 in this region is the strongest, I believe. And I believe if you're going to pick somebody, if you're going to pick an upset, you're going to pick a double-digit seed, you're going to go off the grid a little bit and pick a team that isn't necessarily in the top, 10, 12, to get to the Final Four, this is the, the bracket, this is the region to do it. You know, you have a team and like Michigan State as a 9 seed in this bracket. Michigan State is one of those teams that you could imagine in a Sweet 16, Elite 8, literally end of Every- year they're in the tournament. This year they were flew so far under the radar, and now nobody's picking them. Well, that's because they're very young. Is they're this the inex- type of year that they come out? They're inexperienced. No. This is, this is the one year you don't want to pick Michigan State. They're too young. They're too inexperienced. I love Tom Izzo more than anybody. Michigan State was actually my pick to win the national championship last year. So, might as well. every bracket I did, and Middle Tennessee State destroyed that on not even day one. I'm pretty sure it was the second hour. My bracket went right to, right to garbage. So, 
we're going to start with Kansas, right? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into another potential player of the year candidate, Frank Mason III. He's been awesome. Freshman and forward Josh Jackson, awesome. They're deep. They're a typical Bill Self team. They're the one seed I don't like the most. Ooh, so wait, you're, they're, they're your the least one favorite seed. one seed. They are my least favorite one seed. Now, they have a very, very strong overall body of work. That is something that I will give them. They played a very, very tough out-of-conference schedule. Their underlying stats, so to speak, are very, very good. They went 4-0 against uh, top five teams in the AP poll this season. They can score the basketball. They have six players who are averaging at least seven points per game. They're they're not deep, but they their six seven man rotation is very good. But here's my biggest problem with Kansas. They were nine and three in games decided by five points or less, and in every single one of those games, and every single one of those games that they lost went beyond scoring seventy plus points in those games, and their fourth loss. They scored 69 and they lost at West Virginia, which was a they're probably their worst outing of the season. They were really, really bad. But the reason why I don't like Kansas in particular is because, to me, they're a mixed bag. You don't know what you're going to get. Are they going to come out flat, which they've done many, many times this season? Or are they going to shut down, lock you down defensively, score 70, 80 points a game? They're very capable of doing that. But the effort this season has just been so inconsistent, and they play too many close games for my liking. And that's not something and you expect out of a Bill Self team. That is not something you would expect out of a Bill Self team. And they've had problems off the court, too. They suspended Joshua Jackson for the first game of the Big 12 tournament for a traffic citation, a game that they eventually lost to TCU. To me, that was a sign. That was a sign that if you put adversity in front of this team, they're going to struggle a little bit. And like I said before, they, they struggle in games that were very, very tight. And these NCAA tournament games usually tighten up. So now my question goes to Josh Jackson, who you just mentioned, how he got suspended for the... The traffic citation. Exactly, which happened, I believe, almost a month before the actual suspension took right. place. So that was a very interesting situation. Can a guy like Josh Jackson, who I know Frank Mason is kind of the leader of their team. He's right, been he's, there. The, he's the engine that drives everything. But let's be real, Josh Jackson's the most talented player on the roster. Absolutely. No question. Can a guy like Josh, Josh Jackson, who's a freshman, who's a guaranteed top five pick in next year's draft, whether they lose in the second round to Michigan State or go to the Final Four, can a guy like Josh Jackson put the team on his back in crunch time? Absolutely. It's possible. It's not likely, though. Very rarely do you get a team that has super stud freshmen that win the national championship. It happens very rarely. Shout out Coach Cal Perry. It happened two years ago when Duke did it with Jaleel Okafor. It happened in 2012 when Kentucky did it with Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. It happened in 2003 with Carmelo Anthony and Syracuse. But other than those instances, it is so hard for a young team to, to make it through the, NCAA, the rigors of the NCAA tournament. Now, Frank Mason III, he could very well just have a Kemba Walker-like run and carry his team to the Final Four, to the national championship. But there's a, there are a lot of players on this Kansas team that are young and experienced, a little immature. And we were talking about Josh Jackson and his one-game suspension before. We forgot I forgot to talk about sophomore forward Carlton Bragg Jr. Ooh. He was arrested in December, was charged with misdemeanor battery, and he was also charged in January with misdemeanor possession of drug paraphernalia. 
So he he's kind of been shaky and unreliable as the season has has gone along. And it's a shame because he's, he's a guy who was expected to be a top prospect. Yes, and then he was. After his freshman year, was a struggle. This year, even more struggles. He's, and not always on the court struggles. He's he's so he's so important for them in the middle. And the one another thing that Villanova had this problem. Kansas also has this problem too. They struggle on the interior. They can shoot lights out from the outside. They can throw up 90 points a game. They're so athletically gifted. Can they play in the middle? Can they play in the half court? Can they play inside out? That is my biggest concern with this team. And to me, I think they're going to, I honestly think they're going to struggle. And this is a very unpopular opinion because I see a lot of people picking Kansas to go to the Final Four, to get back to the, the, the national championship game this year. A lot of people like this Kansas team in particular. I want to kind of get off Kansas because we've been talking yeah, about them a lot. we need to move a little bit. Sorry about that. No, no, it's okay. This is great stuff. Great stuff. And um, so, yeah, they're, they're a one seed that definitely kind of scares me. I like the two seed in this region a little more. I like Louisville. Uh, well, I mean, when you got Rick Pitino and you got <laughs> Louisville in the tournament – you can't count them out, and when they're a two seed, they have a their their route to me is very interesting. So you have a team like Michigan who is super trendy right now. In like I, I have Michigan losing in the first round. It, it's, Ooh, that's it's, a good one. It's a spiteful it, pick. It, but I'm not it's lie. not out. And I'll tell you why. Because Oklahoma State, according to to, to Ken Palm, uh, Ken Pomeroy's rankings, Ken Palm, uh, go to KenPomeroy.com. Oklahoma State finishes the number one team in offensive efficiency in the country. Right. So, so they can score. Michigan is this trendy pick, and this is exactly why I don't want to pick them. You know, they had their plane go off the tarmac. They, they didn't even get their flight before the Big Ten tournament the other day. They show up an hour before the game. They win a game as underdogs. They win another game as underdogs. They win another game as underdogs. All of a sudden, they're the Big Ten champs. They make the tournament. They're a seven seed. Solid seeding for them. Everybody's on Michigan. And I've seen it before in the tournament. When you have a team that gets hot before the tournament through the championship round, that was Michigan State last year. Am I wrong? Didn't they win their – didn't Michigan State won uh, – Michigan State won the Big Ten Conference they tournament. Were, they were good all year, but still, they, they were hot going into the tournament. I'm like, Michigan State, easy. Put them in the Final Four. Now, granted, most people don't have Michigan in the Final Four. They have them well, winning was, game one. I think you're thinking about the team two years ago. Oh, maybe it was two years ago. It was two years ago. Coincidentally enough, just a brief point, two years ago, Michigan State – Fit the profile, good strength of schedule, team that got hot, number seven seed went to the final four. The previous year before that was Connecticut. Connecticut did the same thing. They went to the final four. They won the national championship. So there's there's been something to this hot team. But my, my thing is, once everybody starts figuring that out is exactly when it bites you in the ass. So I, I will not put my, my bracket on Michigan Knowing that they just went through hell to win their Big Ten championship, so we're gonna we're gonna and take another Twitter question. Out of quick. spite, Whoop. I'm not picking them. So at Dom F underscore says when he says when he asks us how far can Michigan take this thing, you don't even think they're getting out of the first round. You don't think they're getting out of the round of 64. I pick them to lose in round number one, but I think they can win one. They aren't beating Louisville. That is that is interesting. See, here's here's how I feel. Early in the season, I loved Michigan. They disappointed me. I watched Michigan play a play against teams like UCLA. They got run off the court. They had no idea what kind of style that they wanted to play. As the season went on, head coach John Beeline started implementing a more, an easier, more sophisticated, not sophisticated, more sound defensive strategy, and it has paid off. And I love senior guard Derek Walton Jr. He's emerged as a star 
one of those candidates, one of those guard candidates who could lead a team maybe through the, the rigors of the NCAA tournament. I, I disagree with you. I think I have Michigan beating Oklahoma State. That should be a very fun game. I'm a big, big fan of this Michigan-Louisville round two game because I think the winner of this game is going to go to the Final Four. Wow. I, I'm willing to say that because I think Michigan is actually right now with the injuries to Chris Boucher with Oregon, with Purdue, you never know what you're going to get. Guard play is also inconsistent. A bunch of other teams, I think, are upside candidates in this region. I think the winner of Michigan and Louisville is going to go to the Final Four. And I think with Louisville, depending on how Quentin Snyder plays, he's, he's got to be a difference maker for them. I think Rick Pitino is a master, master tactician. That's the game to watch in the second round. And I agree with you. And your point was if Michigan gets past Louisville, they have a run to the Final Four that's there for the taking. Correct. They have but it lined up. their biggest game is getting past Louisville. Right. So that really comes down to, to a preference there. If you're a Michigan guy, you have to dig deep. Can they beat Louisville? Because, you know, I'm being – I told you, I'm being a little spiteful. I'm picking them to lose in the first round solely because I know everybody's picking them, and I'm right. playing against the field basically. But if you're on Michigan, you think they're going to beat Oklahoma State, you have to dig down. Can they beat Rick Pitino, and can they beat Louisville? Right. And then their run is free. Correct. So I wanted to ask you about that Oregon injury. So uh, the guy Boucher, who's Chris injured Boucher. for Oregon, I and mean, he's not—he's not their guy. No, he's not their guy. But he's—he's he's so versatile. He plays inside, outside. He's a solid three-point shooter. He blocks shots. He does stuff that other players don't do. His versatility to that Oregon team was unmatched right now. Well, also, I want to talk about regarding that bracket. So Oregon is an inter- interesting one. Dylan Brooks, by the way, before we move on. He's a guy who's projected as a second-round pick in the NBA. Him, he, He's a guy who knows how to play basketball, and people take that for he's, granted. He is one of the five or six players in the entire country who I truthfully – like, even with the Boucher injury, I think Dylan Brooks and Oregon can go to the Final Four. He's, he's proven that he can take over big games. He can hit clutch shots. Yet he's projected as a second-round pick, and I know there's a conversation for a different day, but why do NBA teams not value – a player who, A, knows how to play basketball, B, can put a team on his back, and C, has athletic ability. It's not like he is some completely below-the-rim player who can shoot, just shoot occasionally. This guy, he does everything for Oregon. He does. And he's getting no downplayed as a, as a prospect solely for the fact that he's been in Oregon for a couple of years now. And yeah, they're really not getting a little bothered, which is very, very interesting to me. A lot of people, we... Um, we actually got a Twitter question before. forgot who asked it, but it was about Oregon's first-round game against Iona. And I said they're kind of getting disrespected a little bit, and I believe that. So let's, let's move on to some upsets that we like in this region. Everybody's on Rhode Island. Everybody's on Rhode Island. Well, you got Hassan Martin from – shout-out from Staten Island. Hey, That's right. That, shout-out. That's where we're at right now. I actually have Rhode Island beating Creighton. I actually have quite a few upsets in this, in this region. Yeah. I do. Talk about your upset possibilities. I uh, well, well, we'll start with some of the first-round games. I like Rhode Island to beat Creighton. I like Nevada over Iowa State. Another 5-12 upset. I love, love, love that game. I love Nevada. I love Eric Musselman. I think what he's doing out there is excellent. My only concern about Nevada is that the Mountain West was a little bit weak this year. But there are a lot of underlying stats that think that will point to them as a very good upset pick. Their plus 7.5 free throw differential right now is the best in the country. 
Senior guard Marcus Mar- Marshall, so consistent. He's had 42 straight games with a double-double. They won four games this season when they were trailing by double digits. And from what we've known recently, Iowa State is just like Baylor. They're that, that Big 12 team that has struggled to get out of the first round of the tournament. Iowa State, a very, very hot trend, the Elite Eight Final Four pick this year. Mm-hmm. I think they're going down in the first round. That's the type of team that, that, that'll happen to. The five seed, who happens to be trendy, they'll be out in the first round. Are you ready for <laughs> now my, my biggest major prediction? Yes. This is definitely off the grid. Give it to me. I would not suggest doing this, but based on what I see in the matchups right now, I have Kansas losing in the round of 32. Not to Michigan State, Whoa. but to Miami. Whoa. Jim Laranaga who, if you remember, took George Mason on that run to the Final Four in 2011. Laranaga has done a terrific, terrific job with this Miami team. And I believe that they have the athletes on the outside who will be able to slow down Kansas. Now, that's going to be very, 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 very tough to do. Wow, that that is. Can can I just uh, disclose something real quick? Yes. Did you actually put this in any of your brackets? I have. Yes, I have Miami going to the the Sweet Sixteen. Wow, that yes. is something. That's something I haven't heard yet. Senior either. guard Davon Reed was named to the All ACC Defensive First Team. When they have freshman guard Bruce Brown in the lineup, they are a much more complete and a better team. They defeated UNC. Brown had thirty points. They defeated Virginia in overtime. When he played against Duke and scored twenty five, they won. They have some very good wins. And they're a very under-the-radar team. And I happen to love the ACC this year. I think Miami and Kansas in round two, that is a disaster matchup for the Jayhawks. Wow, that is some... And that is something that you're not going to get elsewhere. He's spitting hot hotness over here. I'm not even going to say hot take. I don't even like saying that anymore because everybody's throwing hot takes left and right. But that is some fire that you just gave, but you backed it up with some stats and some Miami players to look out for. That's some interesting stuff. But I want to move on from the Midwest do I get to put my pick? Yes, in? but before we do, let's talk about our uh, our lead eight from the Midwest. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna cut that all out. Right, all, right, on, all right, all right, all right, all right. Good, good, good. So, who do you got in the lead eight from the Midwest? I honestly hate the fact that I'm doing this and I'm putting them in. Do it. But I have Purdue going to the Elite Eight. Oh, what? And the only reason that I have Purdue in the Elite Eight is because I think Vermont is a very winnable game in round one. I have Nevada going out in round two to Purdue. I just I think between having Swanigan. I think he's fouled out too often. I think they're going to do a good job to protect his minutes, and I think he's going to be a difference maker on the interior, and he's going to give a lot of teams that don't have that presence fits. I just think they're going to get to the Elite purely because they have an easy draw. I actually have Louisville-Purdue in the Elite Eight, and I have Louisville going to the Final Four. I also have Louisville, but I went, I went. I don't know if you want to call it mainstream, simple, easy. I, I picked Kansas. I love Josh Jackson too much. I think Frank Mason... Brings too much to the table with some experience and kind of a do-it-all guard for Kansas. Uh, I think Kansas is gonna gonna walk. I think they're gonna walk to meet Louisville in the Elite Eight. All right, fair enough. I have a very different opinion of Kansas than a lot of other people do. It's, like I said, very unpopular, but I'm gonna stick by it. Hey, someone's got to say it. Someone's got to give a little pushback to the one seed of all time. I, I literally doesn't it feel like they're a one seed every single year? It, they are. It, it's frustrating. But I, a part of it, <laughs> part of it is because I honestly believe that every year the Big Twelve was a little bit overvalued as a conference, and they did it this year too. Baylor's a three, West Virginia's a four. We'll get to that in the West region last. Oh yeah. Iowa State's a five. They put Kansas State in the tournament. Oklahoma, you know, it's, there's they they're always overvalued as a conference to me, and I I would take the the, the overall body of work of like even a conference like the Pac-12 this year over the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. So. 
Interesting stuff. So again, this is the SBNY podcast. My name is Peter Kelly. I'm here joined with Joe Calabrese, often co-host of the SBNY podcast, but especially for the NCAA tournament because that is that is your shit, man. That is my wheelhouse. I love it. I love what you're spitting at me right now. But if you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast on iTunes, please do so. You can find it by searching Sports Blog New York Podcast. And if you like what you've been hearing, leave a rating and a review because, like I said in the, in the open, that goes a long way in the iTunes podcast world. And again, this podcast is sponsored by JM Man Cave Sports. You can follow them on Instagram at JM Man Cave Sports. They're hooking us up with a Magic Johnson 90, 1992 All-Star game signed picture for the winner of our free entry, NCAA Tournament Challenge, which you can find on our Twitter, which is at SportBlogNYC. So keep listening. Subscribe, rate, review. We love every listener. But let's move on because we're going to get into now we got into the East, we got into the Midwest, now we got to get into the West and the South. Yes. And then after that, we're going to talk about the best NBA prospects in this tournament. Because people like me who love basketball, but kind of are NBA people first, college people second, we love our prospects. And we love talking about those guys who might be on decent teams, but are so good themselves that can lift a team up to the Elite Eight. To there's, the a player, there's a player in this region who can do this, just that. So we'll get into Can't it. Wait for that. But before we get into specific NBA prospects, granted they'll come up here and there as we talk, let's talk about the Western region, or the bottom left, as the laymen call it. The laymen's. So we got number one, Gonzaga, who everyone seems to hate Gonzaga this year, which kind of makes sense, but anyway. We'll I hate them every year. We'll get into it. They, one, this year they're actually good, though. We got the number one <laughs> in Gonzaga. We got number two in Arizona. Number three, Florida State, and number four, West Virginia. Those are our big four in the Western region. And we got some other interesting name teams. I'll call them good names in this uh, in this region as well. Yes. So let's get into it. Gonzaga is number one seed. Let's start off with them. Yes, they're hated by a lot of people because Gonzaga has busted many people's brackets before, and not in the sense that they made far runs. No, in the sense that people thought they were going to make far runs, and they absolutely blew it in round one or two. Is this year going to be different as a one seed, or are they going to just blow it again? I um I don't think they they're necessarily going to blow it this year. I think they're actually very talented, and the one thing that I think comes up a lot when you talk about Gonzaga is the conference that they play in. The only qu- other quality team was St. Mary's, and I'm not even sold on them. Ironically, St. Mary's is actually the seven in this region, but a lot of people talk about Gonzaga and the quality of their their conference, and I think that's that's a legitimate claim. But this team's definitely got some talent, and they actually scheduled a lot of quality out-of-conference games, and they won them all. And these are they, they beat teams pretty healthy, too. So they beat Florida, they beat Iowa State, and they beat the number two seed in this region, Arizona. So they're definitely legit. They have something that a lot of other teams don't have. They have size. They have seven-foot senior center, my man Karnowski, who's excellent, and... Junior guard Nigel Williams Goss is awesome. They're, they go inside out. They're very balanced. They play defense. They're an efficient offensive team. There's, there's. I I, I kind of do like them. I oh, do. Yeah. Why did that hurt to say? It, it hurts to say that they're finally good. I don't have them in the final four, but they're they're <laughs> good. They're, they're legitimately good. If you have them in the Final Four, I wouldn't think twice about going against it. You know, and like I said before, there's so much ebb and flow in the NCAA tournament. 
it's it's such a huge field. It's the only tournament that we have in sports in America that is this large, that is this exciting, that is all one and done. It makes for a super exciting tournament every single year, and that's why we love it so much. There's so much ebb and flow. And the way I look at it with Gonzaga, everybody you hear talking about Gonzaga, it's all negative this year. They've bit you in the ass before with your bracket. Don't pick them again. They're not as good. They're they're a mid-major extraordinaire. They, they're not really going to be able to hang with the big dogs of the NCAA tournament. And this is the year they get the number one seed. For a long time this year, they were the number one overall team in the country. Yeah. Yes, they were. They only have one loss this season. Clearly, this team is immensely talented. The problems lie with their schedule. Their conference is weak. They have some good out-of-conference wins, but overall, it's nothing too, too crazy. There was one game this season where they struggled down the stretch, and it was against BYU, and they lost that game. And as I watched that game, those those thoughts kept crapping in the back of my mind. Are they going to do this in the tournament? That is, that is, I think, a really good measure of how you see teams perform. And that's why I'm very, not down on Kansas, but I kind of am shaky taking them. That one game that Gonzaga played against BYU is still firmly entrenched in my mind. They struggled to move the ball down the stretch. They couldn't even get shots up in the final minute. Couldn't even get clean shots up in the final minute. Will this come up again? And there are really strong teams, especially on their side of this region. So let's get into some other teams. So Gonzaga is a team that's really interesting. They're number one seed. But let's get into the other teams. So we got a very trendy pick, if you want to call it that, or very just maybe a very strong pick. It depends how you look at it. But Arizona is a team with some really good talent, some decent NBA prospects on the team as well. They're a two seed. A lot of people have them going pretty deep. Do you see them getting to an Elite Eight, or do you see them as more of a toss-up? My man, Sean Miller, head coach here, love him. Love him. I pick Arizona to go to the Final Four every year, and every single year, they burn me. Every single year, they burn me. So wait, before you go on, this to me sounds like a, so I'm not picking them this year, because I'm not getting burned again. Oh no, I'm picking them. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, good. Because that- here's what's going to happen, and this is, this is for people who consistently pick Villanova with Jay Wright, year after year. <sighs> <sighs> Uh, when is when are we gonna get there? They got there last year. Maybe this year is Arizona's year. I don't know. I I just spoiled my my pick now. But here's why I like Arizona. Early in the season, they had to deal with an injury to sophomore guard Alonzo Trier. When they got him back in the lineup, this team went from being just a good top fifteen ish team. They became legitimately one of the four best teams in the country. There's a reason why they were able to roll through the Pac-12 conference tournament. And there was a reason why they were able to beat UCLA and Oregon in consecutive games at the end. They are a talented, talented bunch. The most underrated part about Arizona, like Gonzaga, like other teams that we've mentioned so far in the podcast, they can play inside out. They can play big. They've got a seven-foot freshman finish Talk about monster. him. That's my man. I bring him up every monster. week. Monster. I bring Laurie him up every Markinen. week. He is a monster. He is... He is so good. It is, it's criminal how good he is. He might be the most underrated, under-talked about. That's not even a term. <laughs> it makes sense. Not, he, he's so not talked about. I mean. Not if you listen to this podcast because your boy brings him up every single week. Listen back. If you haven't, go on iTunes, subscribe, listen to our podcast in the back the past two or three weeks. I bring him up all the time. This dude, and I love 
Porzingis. This dude has a better touch than Porzingis. Absolutely. This dude has a better handle than Porzingis. He's three inches shorter. He's only seven foot. He's Finnish and not Latvian. But I'm telling you, he is that type of talent. He is going to be... I don't know if he's going to be an all-star at the pro level. but he's Offensively, so, he is that talent. But he is so gifted. He was selected first team All-Pac-12 this year. He was the only major conference player with the outright team lead in points, rebounds, and three-point shots. He is on pace to do so many tremendous things in this tournament. I can't, I, I can't stop gushing about him. And the amazing part is, we just mentioned, he's a seven-foot guy who can legitimately go outside and hit the three-point With shot. With range. He has so much range. He does so much. He's going to be a nightmare problem for everybody in this tournament. And, I mean, I'm glad you brought him up because if you didn't, I was going <laughs> to. If you're a guy like me who follows the NBA draft boards for months, like when, as soon as the season started, and I don't, it's not even because I'm just a Knicks fan. I know they're going to end up down with a pick. It's because I just love the NBA draft. He's a guy who started at about 15. Two weeks into the season, he was about 12. Now he's about 10. And I only see his stock rising in this tournament because people are going to realize, holy hell, there's a seven-foot finish guy who has the limitless, limitless range badge and can put the ball on the floor. And he can block shots. He is the perfect modern. Th- there's no center position in stretch the NBA anymore. He, but he's, like, he's more than a stretch forward. He's, I think he's legitimate center. I got some numbers for you. You ready? Yeah, give it to me. 67 of 155 on the three-point attempts this season. 43% three-point percentage. Obviously, you lead your team in three-pointers. He led his team in three-point percentage. 43% is super legit. That is super for a seven-foot big man. Are you crazy? Are you nuts? That's amazing. <laughs> I ain't nuts. We have to stop gushing about Arizona. And Lori Markkinen. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on with this, with this region because uh, this podcast is running a little long. But we're okay with that right now because we're breaking it down from top to bottom. We're getting into all of it, all the upsets you need to know about, all the key players to watch, the best games – and obviously, the teams that are going to make it the furthest, because that's what matters most when you're filling out a bracket. You know, you can you can be cool and, and brag about the five twelve that you called. Eh, a lot of people called that. If you get the final four and the elite eight right, then you're really the man. So that's what we're going to break down in just a minute. Uh, we talked about Gonzaga. We talked about Arizona. Then we have Florida State with another great prospect, Jonathan Isaac. Jonathan Isaac, and then number four, West Virginia. They're always a very interesting team come tournament time with their style of play, with yes. their press. And they're they three press. points. They three points shootings. They, Woo! But they never have. They, they never have three. a star player. No. That's that's Bob Huggins' problem. He's never been able to recruit the star player that he needs. And this is something that plagued a guy who I really liked too for a long time, John Beheim. Great coaches, great schemes, great systems. You mean Jim? Oh, Jim Beheim. No, I'm sorry. sorry. Thought you were talking about a different guy. I just want to. No, make no, sure. no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, go on. Friends, look. I can't believe I messed that up. Especially because we were talking about Syracuse early in the show. Yes, Jim Beheim. Thank you for the uh, the clarification. I'm sure people knew what I was talking about. I just wanted to make sure you weren't talking about someone who I didn't know. Because that, <laughs> that was also very possible. <laughs> well, anyway, go on. Anyway, when, when, we, when we're talking about a team like West Virginia, they always lack that player that you need. Style-wise, their, their style fits the NCAA tournament the most. But, unfortunately, you need players too. Now, Florida State is the total opposite of this. They have the players, but all they do is run up and down. They don't care about playing defense. They, and I'm not sure if the stat is correct, but I believe they led the country this season in most 100-point performances. Wow. Yeah. So they were able that to That doesn't score. happen in college right now. Now, Jonathan Isaac is going to be a top seven pick. Yes. He is 
a 6'10", freak of nature, athleticism up the you-know-what. He's terrific. Can they play in the half court? I don't think so. No. And if they do, they try to out-athlete people and come Out-athlete. Come tournament. That's, <laughs> out-athlete? Did I just make that term up? You I made don't, that term up. Well, either way, it, it basically means they try to just be better without having a plan. Right. And that's like that comes to Jonathan Isaac being a freshman who has never played in a tournament before, obviously. He'll, they'll give him the ball on you know the, uh, the elbow extended, and he'll try to make a play. Or one of their other players will just try to make a play. They don't have a pure system that really works for them. But come tournament time, they're playing a team in Florida Gulf Coast who obviously made a Cinderella Dunk run. Dunk City! Exactly. They made a sick run a couple years back. Dunk City's back, baby. I see Florida State doing just fine against Florida Gulf Coast. No offense to those Cinderella lovers. And then they run into a decent matchup. Next round, I think, in Maryland or Xavier, two teams that you know you see in the tournament a lot. But yes. Florida State has more talent than them. And I they think do. if they hit a stride here, and Jonathan Isaac is the player who he is, they can end up meeting Arizona in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I fairly, agree with that. Fairly I easily. Think, I think their, their draws are very... I actually, believe it or not, in, 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 when, we're, when we're talking about Florida State draw, I actually think Florida Gulf Coast is going to be the tougher matchup of the two. Yeah. I think if they get by Florida Gulf Coast, they'll easily beat Maryland or Xavier. Xavier is missing their their best player for a long time. And Maryland is starting three freshmen and Melo Trimble. Now, as good as Melo Trimble is, I don't think just having him is enough to get by the first weekend. It hasn't been in his career yet. Right. So why is it going to be now? You know, what's strange about this is that we're talking about the West, and I think quality-wise, overall, it's the weakest of the four regions. But I have very close to chalk getting to the the Sweet 16 and coming out of this, this bracket. So... I, uh, you want to talk about upsets now? Uh, I'm going about- to say one more thing about West Virginia because you mentioned before how they play a style that's really good for the NCAA tournament. And I agree to an extent, but the, to the extent I disagree comes with this point. They play a very up-tempo style. They press a lot on defense. They shoot a lot of threes. That's the style that if you get hot, that can carry you all the way through three, four, five, six rounds. But if you're not making your threes... You can get bumped in the first round. See you later. I know. And I see where this is going. If West Virginia is playing this style, Bucknell comes out now with multiple days to prepare. During the regular NCAA season, if you are, say, say you're UVA and I'm West Virginia, I play this style. Granted, you know I play this style. You're not spending that much time to prepare. Bucknell has now had multiple days to sit back and watch West Virginia tape day after day after day and come out with a game plan to, to break the press and to slow down the three-point shot. And I see West Virginia losing in the first round. Oh, boy. I knew that was coming. I watched Bucknell. Uh, I didn't watch one Bucknell game this year. By I way. watched two weeks ago. They were playing Navy. They got out to an early lead, and the Navy kind of crept back into the game. And I just watched them. They didn't really impress me that much. I mean, I don't hate the, the upset pick. They're not, there's an, impressive, going, there's they're going not to, an impressive team. No, there's <laughs> going to be a 4-13 upset. And honestly, you could do worse than picking a, a team from the Big 12 that I don't particularly like. But... That's, uh, that's respectable. I'm okay with that. My reasoning is sound, maybe. <laughs> Very sound. <laughs> but Bucknell's not an impressive team. I'm not trying to say you should pick them to win any more than one game. But a team like There's West Virginia... There's going to be a 4 13 upset. Oh, for sure. A team like West Virginia can run into problems when their style comes back to bite them in the butt. Right. So it's possible. Uh, let's do some upsets on this on this one because we got to get into one more region. Right. So let's do upsets quickly. Maybe mention Northwestern for their first uh, <laughs> tournament entry. And yeah, I'll be honest. Long, I have I have pretty much on. I have pretty much chalk here. I have VCU as the the ten seven game. I don't like St. Mary's at all. 
And Which is differing from yeah. a sports blog New York writer who had St. Mary's as, as a mid-major to watch. Right. I have a... I have a different opinion in your view. I think the, the game of this region is going to be Notre Dame-West Virginia. I think that 4-5 matchup is very intriguing. In the Elite Eight, I have Notre Dame beating Gonzaga in the Sweet 16 because I love Mike Bray. I love what he's done with that, that Fighting Irish. That program has become phenomenal in the last couple of years. And I have Arizona beating Notre Dame and getting to the Final Four. I think this is the year it happens until it doesn't happen. And then I, and then I complain in the... After the, the tournament's over, ah, Arizona, they got me again. Hey, well, we'll see what happens. I'm also very high on Arizona. Uh, but like you said, sometimes you got to keep taking your chance on your team until they actually make it, especially with a, a group this talented. Uh, real quick, though, anything you know about Jock Landell from St. Mary's, 6'11 St. Mary's player? And not really too impressive. I was never really a St. Mary's guy. I mean... I, I honestly, I really can't tell you enough. Not, not much? All right, well, I'm, I'm just saying one of our writers, Richie Crims, he wrote a little piece about mid-majors. He mentioned St. Mary's. He mentioned Jock Lindell. He's averaging 17 points and nine rebounds this season. Anybody who can do that at the Division One NCAA level is an impressive man. Yeah, I know. Uh, so I just want to throw his name at you, see what you thought. Yeah, I know he can. He's, he's come over from Australia, and St. Mary's has built a program over there where they're getting a lot of their players from that, that place. So they've really become like uh, – Australia West Coast. Yeah, right? Which is quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, but let's go Elite Eight for the uh, West region. What so I picked Arizona. And you picked Notre Dame? Yes, I picked Notre Dame and Arizona. So I got I got the chalk again. My, my bracket's real boring this year. It I, is I, really boring. I usually don't I think do you're this. going to safe. You're going no, to see, safe. I have upsets, and this is what I said earlier. Like, I have Bucknell beating West Virginia. In another bracket, I have... Uh, actually, this is a, like a backwards upset. I actually have Creighton beating Rhode Island. That's but a backwards I, upset? Yeah, because everyone's on Rhode Island, so I, I, I have some yeah, faith I think in actually, Creighton. I, I would not shock me if Rhode Island went off as the favorite. We're going to move on to the next region, the South. I have Middle Tennessee winning. I have a couple tens winning. So, you know, I have I have uh, my upsets here and there, but when it comes down to the Elite Eight, I don't mess around. I got the best teams there. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Uh, well, let's move on to the South. But before we do, I want to mention as well that Joe Calabrese and myself will be at a Verizon Fios-sponsored press box in Manhattan tomorrow. And we're very... Uh, but Not tomorrow. It is tomorrow. It is tomorrow. Because today's Wednesday. I mean, right now it's... No, today's Tuesday. Right now it's Tuesday, but people are listening to this on Wednesday. You're right. Duh. Behind the scenes of the Sports Blog New York podcast. So <laughs> Joe and I will be on Thursday in Manhattan at the Verizon Files press box watching live all of the games of the first day of the NCAA tournament. And when I say the first day, I don't mean the dumb playing games. I don't care about those. Give me 64. Give me Thursday afternoon. Me and Joe will be in the city tweeting live from the Sport Blog NYC, as well as our personal Twitters. Mine is Pete underscore Kennedy 81. And Joe, your Twitter is? At J Calabrese, C-A-L-A-B-R-E-S-E, 1. Oh, boom. J Calabrese, 1. 1. Follow us not on 2, Twitter. not 3, not 4, 1. Follow us on Twitter and look out for some live tweets from the Verizon Files press box on Thursday afternoon into the evening. Now let's get into the last region and then some NBA prospects because we're coming in on an hour now. We're going to spend about 15 more minutes total, so maybe 10 on the South region and then 5-ish on the prospects. How's that sound? That sounds fine. All right, let's do it. In the South, we have UNC, rapid fire. UNC as the number one seed, got Kentucky as the number two, UCLA as the number three, and Butler rounding out the top four of the South with some very interesting teams from one to 16. But the most interesting, let's be real, are one, two, and three in the South region. This bracket, all hell can break loose. Anything can happen. 
I feel like Kevin Garnett right now. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Lonzo Ball might just take over and beat the whole league. There's also, no, they there might is lose. no bigger fan of Lonzo Ball on earth than me. But they might lose right away. Who knows? Anything can happen. Break, <laughs> it, break it down for us. Break <laughs> it down for us, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> hot takes, hot takes, hot takes. Where, where do you want me to start? You want me to start with Lonzo Ball? No, start off with the number one. We want to start with North Carolina. Where do we start? The team that came oh so close to winning the national championship last year. They are a, they are a deep bunch, too. You got jo- uh, Justin Jackson. You got Joel Berry. You got Theo Pinson. Isaiah Hicks. They are... Kennedy Meeks. Kennedy Meeks. Shout out to his first name, my last name. They go... They roll just as deep as some of the deepest teams in the country. I, uh, I'm a big North Carolina fan. I think they were deserving of their one. I think they were rewarded for having... A really, really good regular season. And I think that's how it should work. You know? I mean, a lot of people put stock into the conference tournaments. And like I said before, like Duke went from being on the four line to the two line. And maybe I thought they should have been a one. Because I value the ACC so much, I look at North Carolina and Duke as two number one seeds. And that's not how a lot of other people think. But I I believe that because North Carolina went there last year... I believe it's going to be so valuable when they get back there this year. If they get back there, I'm not going to te- I'm not going to tease that just yet. Yeah. How, do you, how do you feel about North Carolina? Well, I want to talk about a guy who you mentioned. I want to talk about Justin Jackson. So I've been starting my taking my notes for the NBA draft. He's a guy who is predicted to be anywhere from I'll say 14 to 22, which is kind of a big range, but I think that explains the extent of his ability. This guy completely changed his shooting stroke. Yes. If you watch him shoot from his freshman and sophomore year, horrendous. Like he's gross shooter. Under 30, he was twenty nine percent and thirty percent in his first two years. He's shooting almost forty percent from three this year. He completely changed his stroke. He's got crazy good size. He has now has legitimate NBA three point range, and he uses his body very well. And my favorite thing about Justin Jackson, I think this goes a long way come tournament time. He makes decisions, and he makes them quick. Yes. Whether he's getting the ball and continuing to move the ball through the offense, or he's getting it and taking a shot, or getting it and cutting to the hoop, he makes quick decisions. He's now a three-year player at UNC. He can carry the North Carolina Tar Heels to an Elite Eight, to a Final Four, possibly to a championship. I think he's a difference maker, and I think he's only going to make his draft stock rise. I got two stats for you. First one is a Josh, uh, Justin Jackson individual stat. You ready? Mm-hmm. He has recorded 16 games of 20-plus more points this season. The last player who did that for North Carolina... Don't say it. Say it. Tyler Hansborough. Oh, I thought you were going to say Michael Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) So much not fun. When did Tyler Hansborough do it? 2008-2009. The last time North Carolina won the national championship. Wow, that's a tasty nugget right there. According to Ken Palm, a site that I love to use a lot... They are the 25th best defensive team in the country in terms of efficiency. Okay. So not only are they doing it on the offensive end of the floor, they're doing it at the defensive end of the floor. Now, they kind of kind of gotten into some high-scoring games this year, too. But when push comes to shove, they tighten up and they can play defense. Hasn't really shown the Duke games, but they've been able to lock down everybody else. So they are a team to absolutely watch. I think they're the, the, the most likely number one seed to get out of their region into the Final Four. Wow, that's so surprising because yes. if you think about their region, which now we're going to get into the rest of the region, they have possibly the biggest names and best teams from 2-3. But and the problem so, is so they, on and so forth. they play on the other side of the bracket. So the one seed in this, in this sense actually has the upper hand because 2-3, right. and three, say they it's win their first game, war. second game, Kentucky-UCLA... The, the matchup that we're dreaming for 
in the a Sweet rematch, 16. A rematch of a game that already happened. That's that the one be, we want to see. That would be so unbelievable. It happened December 12th in UCLA beat Kentucky 97-92. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about Kentucky first. Yes, They're, let's. Let's talk about their elite freshman guards. Let's talk about Malik Monk and Darren Fox. Two NBA, pro, NBA prospects is your wheelhouse. Yes, all right. So all year long, I'm thinking Malik Monk is a better prospect. Malik Monk's a better player. The last two... T- I've watched three Kentucky games in the past like week or so. Maybe, well, obviously not the past two days, but the, basically like three out of their last five games. De'Aaron Fox has really, really impressed me. His poise, his control, his ability to actually hit that pull-up jumper in traffic and uh, just moving the ball and setting up the offense. Malik Monk has become the guy who is super streaky, so streaky to the point that you actually don't even see him on the court until he starts hitting shots. The problem with Malik Monk is he's a shooting guard in a point guard's body. Right. And De'Aaron Fox, his imprint is all over the game from moving the ball to setting up teammates to getting Bam Adebayo, easy dunks, easy, easy dunks. His imprint's all over the game. Malik Monk will disappear for five minutes at a time, come out of nowhere, get a steal and a dunk and a three-pointer. Holy shit, Malik Monk's sick. Meanwhile, De'Aaron Fox has been doing the dirty work for the past five minutes. That is correct. And that's how I feel about those two. I, I completely agree. And that's I, a changing opinion I I couldn't had. have even said it better. Uh, let's talk about Kentucky for a little bit. They are not a bad defensive team. The They actually play defense pretty well, and they came from a conference that I think is underrated in the SEC. The biggest issue for them is, can they get by UCLA? Now... I have some very interesting opinions about UCLA. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. I love Lonzo Ball. How can let's, you not? Let's talk about Lonzo, Lonzo Ball a little bit first. I, uh, there's no bigger fan of Lonzo Ball than me. I think he is, I think more so than Mark Helfeldt, he's going to be a total stone-cold mortal lock to be a great pro. Wow. There is, if, if you're buying somebody, buy him. He's going to be an all-star point guard at the next level. His, his athleticism is freakish. His court vision is unparalleled, and he has the ability to do things on the offensive end that truly make him an elite talent. He is the only player in the country who has hit at least 70% of his two-point field goals and 40% of his three-point field goals. Wow. He is... Just a quick cameo here. I know one person who loves him more than you. His father. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everybody. SBNY founder Phil DeMeo. Absolutely spot on. Nobody loves him more than his dad. Nobody loves saying more egregious things than his father. That's actually pretty good. Quick aside on that, too. Uh, LeVar Ball has been making appearances all over the place. Yes, got yes. interviews on USA Today. He was on The Herd the other day with Colin Cowherd. The man may be, you know, playing up his family, but if he believes no press is bad press, or all press is good press, if you will, he's doing a damn good job talking him up. Because I can see Lonzo Ball getting a huge shoe contract next year. And it, it's part because of his daddy. His That's daddy. His daddy. daddy. I don't know who said this, but he said he's a Kardashian of basketball. He's the Kardashian. That was Colin Coward. Yeah, Colin Coward yeah. He's great. He is, he's Chris Jenner. That's exactly what he is. Going back to Twitter now, at Mel Hoop, but that's three O's. So at Mel Hoop with three O's in the hoop. I've had UCLA winning for a while now. How do you feel about them? Good balance of freshmen and seniors. This is true. High-octane offense. Keyword there being offense. Correct. Yeah, I think UCLA is a very trendy Final Four pick because I think people look at them and they think, oh, they could put up 100 points a game. Those kinds of teams don't necessarily do well in the tournament. And they have struggled this year to play in the half court. They struggle getting their offense 
settled, set, and ran in the half court. They are a team that loves to run. They are a team that loves to turn, turn you over, get you going. They'd like to go play the other way, right? Yes. I think they're going to struggle early in the tournament. And I say that not, not, not necessarily their first round game, but if they meet Cincinnati in round two, that is a game to watch out for that may bust a lot of brackets. And we see this every year. There's a super stud freshman player who's on a really good team that everybody kind of likes, and there's always that, that team that bows out early. So I'm just going to throw some stats at you, some more Ken Palm stats. You ready? Mm-hmm. Give it to me. Potential second-round opponent for uh, UCLA would be Cincinnati. Cincinnati was the 11th best team in the nation in adjusted defensive efficiency. They allowed 68 points, uh, 60.8 points per game this season, which was the fifth best in the country. They held 18 opponents under 60 points, but they, again, they play in the American Athletic Conference, so not the, the best overall gauge of... Right. But their assist-to-turnover ratio, fourth best in the nation. Their 10 turnovers per game, 10 fewest in the nation. Cincinnati has only used three starting lineups this season. I'm just saying. That's consistency in the sense of their rotation and consistency in the sense of their on-court play. I'm just saying, food for thought, what if UCLA can't score 80, 90, 100 points in these tournament games because they're played in the half court and they're slowed down? What's going to happen then when the game slows down, they're going to be forced to, to defend. They're not a team that likes to defend. They are a team that likes to shoot. Senior guard Bryce Alford is one of the best three-point shooters in the country. Guy just beat the UCLA record for most threes in a career. That was a very good stat. Jason Capono. That was a very, very good stat. This UCLA team does not like to play defense. If they played defense 20 minutes of those 40 uh, 40 minutes they played in the game, they would easily win the national championship because they might be the most talented team in the country. But talent doesn't win games. So here is something, uh, once again, that not a lot of people are going to tell you. I love UCLA. I'm the biggest Lonzo Ball fan in the entire world. They're going to struggle in the tournament because they don't play defense. That's why they lost against Arizona twice. That's why they lost against Oregon. They didn't play in the Pac-12 title and the Pac-12 Conference Tournament Championship for a reason. And I love, I love Steve Al- uh, Alvarez as a head coach, but at you this know, point I'm very, would... I'm very shaky in UCLA and... I uh, I'm I'm gonna pick against them. I'll go off of you there and say, <laughs> so say they have a pretty easy game against uh, Kent State in round one. Fine, right? Then they play Cincinnati. Granted, they even win the game. Say it's a very tough game. That makes going to play Kentucky that much harder. God forbid they beat Kentucky after going through a brutal game against Cincinnati. That makes playing UNC in the next round that much harder. So their route is very difficult. And their the same route can be is so said, difficult. The same could be said for Kentucky because Wichita State, like we said earlier, the most egregious seeding that of my of my memory, they were a top twenty five team in the in the nation. That, that and they get a ten. That doesn't make any sense. So that that will they be can, a they tough can game. go Wichita State can go ten deep. They can shoot the the heck out of the ball too. That Dayton Wichita State game in the first round is going to be awesome. The bottom. I, I, not, it's not even a quadrant, but the bottom eight teams in this bracket that include Cincinnati, UCLA, Dayton, Wichita State, and Kentucky, that is a very fearsome fivesome. Those are five teams that are, fivesome. Wow. Those are five that. teams that are legitimate Sweet 16 teams that just kind of got grouped very badly together. All right, so let's keep moving, though, because we're, we're really getting kind of long here. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Middle Tennessee State 
legit 12 seed upset? Legit 12 seed ups that they are. They return all every single player that well not every single player but they return a majority of the team that beat Michigan State last year. Their best player is actually a transfer from Arkansas. His name is Jacory Williams. That team is legit. They are tough. They are tough as nails. Minnesota will go down the first round. Boom. Middle Tennessee State upset pick. That's a guaranteed 12-5 from Joe Calabrese. My other upset pick, I love Butler uh, losing to Winthrop. I Winthrop, the Big South Tournament champions. They have a senior guard, Keon Johnson. They are an excellent three-point shooting team. They, they've been tested this season. They have losses against Florida State and Dayton, but they were in those games. They are battle-tested. That is the four thirteen matchup that I like the most uh, as an upset special. So All right, I so give me, give me your um, Elite Eight from that region, and then we'll give your final, our final fours. My Elite Eight is my dream national championship game, which would have been North Carolina and Kentucky. That is another rematch, too. Imagine that. So yeah. many rematches. A lot of people forget that. A lot of people are focusing on Kentucky-UCLA. Uh, but I have UCLA going down in the second round to Cincinnati because I think – Cincinnati is very undervalued going into this tournament. That is very unpopular. That is very unpopular. That is so unpopular. That is as hot as Kansas, but... Someone's got to say it. Somebody had... The upsets happen. They happen every year. You just have to be fearless enough to pick them. So I got UNC and Kentucky in the lead eight. I have UNC going to the final four. All right, so I also have UNC and... Well, I actually have UNC and UCLA in one of my brackets, but I have Kentucky in one of my other brackets... I think that's a toss-up. I oh, yeah, I that's, that's the one guy everybody hates. The guy who has eight different brackets for I, eight different final I have fours. Two, I have two brackets. All right. Give me some credit. Anyway, uh, let's give our final fours and champions, and then we'll move on to talk about NBA prospects just for a few minutes, and then we'll, we'll end up for the night. For Are the you day. ready for it? Give it to me. I want to pick Arizona. I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. I think Duke is going to the national championship game. I love Louisville. I love Rick Pitino. I love the grit, the size of that team. And I think they're, they're the, the kind of team that profiles to peak now. But I think UNC is getting back there. Which means for the fourth time this season, we're going to see UNC and Duke. Oh! And we're going to see it in the national championship game. The 2005 national champion against the 2016 runner-up for the fourth time this season. And I have UNC cutting down the nets and winning the national championship. Wow, I love it. I love the pick. My Final Four isn't too different than yours. I really hope we see UNC Duke in the championship. I actually also have Duke-Arizona in the Final Four, but I have Arizona edging out Duke, and I have Kansas-UNC on the other side. You went chalk. So you're... I went kind of chalk. Well, technically I have three twos too, so it's... Like I said in the beginning of this podcast... The statistical evidence is so strong right. that a one, two, or three will be in the final four. That I, I, I'm keeping it simple, and I'm hoping I'm right. I got Duke versus Arizona. Arizona wins. Kansas versus UNC. UNC wins, and then Arizona is my champion. Quick research: um, Duke and North Carolina have they ever played in tournament? Charlie? That I don't know off the top of my head. Wikipedia says they have never played in, in the tournament. tournament. That would be the so. first time it'd be in the national championship yeah. game. The stars are aligning; it's going to happen. That would be a damn beautiful thing. So we have so many great things coming with the NCAA tournament starting on Thursday. The real NCAA tournament. Screw the playing games. Sorry, shameless. Shameless opinion. I like the playing games. That was a shameless opinion I think of mine. Another topic for a different day. Uh, but again, don't forget to f- fill out your bracket now for the Sports Blog New York bracket challenge. Teaming up with JM Man Cave Sports, we got the Magic Johnson 1992 All Star picture autographed, JSA authenticated, the whole nine. Free entry to the Sports Blog New York podcast 
I'm not podcast. Sports Blog New York Tournament Challenge. And the winner gets the Magic Johnson Autograph 1992 All-Star Picture. So fill out your bracket now that you just heard so much great information. Uh, it's already been like an hour, 15, hour, 20. So let's just go quick. Spend about a couple minutes. Let's just say, let's play a game here. We're going to say star, starter, role player, bust. I'm going to give I like this game. Star, starter, role player, bust. Right. All right? So if you can't figure out what those four terms mean, I'm tweener? sorry. Can I say like tweener between like role player and starter? Sure. And that's like, say, all right, well, how about, we'll make it five. We'll, we'll do this on the spot. Star, starter. Right. Tweener is a guy who may be a role player at one point on a certain team, maybe a starter. He's a tweener. Right. And then we have role player bust. Right. Guys in the tournament only. Right. Lonzo Ball. Star. Star. Jason Tatum. Star. Star. Josh Jackson. Star. Actually, I'm going back on Jason Tatum. Starter. Why? Not, not a star. Are you, are you kidding me? I haven't seen enough yet. Uh, okay. <laughs> just wait. Just wait until three no, weeks serious, come no. around and we're serious. podcasting. We'll see. I have Save to watch. That. I have to watch more tape on him. Honestly. Save that. De'Aaron Fox, starter, starter. Jonathan Isaac. <sighs> this is tough. He's got the athleticism to be a star, but I think he's going to be a starter. I tend to agree, and I don't want to agree with you on all these, but I tend to agree. Uh, this guy's tough. He's not in the tournament. Frank Nikilnia. He might be on the Knicks. We're actually talking about guys only in the tournament. Laurie Markkinen, star, starter. Whoa, I, I differ lo- on this. I love Laurie Markkinen, and I think he's going to be awesome. He's going to be fun to watch. He's not going to ever be the best guy on a team. Right now, we're looking. Neither will. We're looking at a mock draft that has him to the Kings. If he goes to the Kings, he's a starter. <laughs> if he goes to the Mavericks, he's a star. If he goes to a team with a really good coach, he's a star in the making. That's true. It all depends. It all on depends situation. on where you're drafted. He has the skill set to be a star. I'm going to stick by that. He's a star. Let's talk about Malik Monk, starter, because he's undersized. I'm going to say tweener. He could start on some teams. His best role will be six man, and he will be an awesome six man for plenty of teams. He could be Jason Terry. I don't want him to be a starter. I don't expect him to be a starting caliber guard. I feel like he's destined to be Jason Terry. Um, let's run it down a little bit. Harry Giles, <sighs> starter. Really? Oh, man. Yeah. Tweener. I'm, I'm giving him tweener. He doesn't have a position, but I think in, in a small ball world, he'll find a place somewhere. Bam Adebayo. Mm, tweener. Role player. Okay. Luke Kennard. Role player. Uh, I don't know. I love Luke He's Kennard. going to stick somewhere. He's going to be in the league for 10, 15 years. Correct. I'm calling him a tweener because um, I'm certain, call teams, him a tweener too. certain teams he could earn a starting role. Right. Uh, two more guys. Justin Jackson. <sighs> tweener. You ready for this? Yeah. Star. I knew you were going to say that. That dude's range has become so legit after his first two years in the league. It, and he can, has, I change, he has can I change my answer size. on the fly? Sure. Wait, did I say starter? You said tweener. I said tweener. He's a starter. I said. I don't know I if he's going to be a starter. Justin I, I Jackson, don't know if he's going to be a star. I think he's going to be a starter. Steal of the draft at 20-ish well, around Well, the mock there. draft that we're looking at has him at 25. I think he's going to move somewhere between 10 and 20 by the time the draft comes. He's going to be are, a steal no matter people what. Are gonna, the coaches are going to have tape on him of the tournament, and they're going to see that, and they're going to be like, we have to draft this guy higher. Okay. Last guy I want to talk about is a guy who... Uh, did, we, did we say did we open with Marco Fultz? Oh, did I ask that question right now? That's what I was going to ask too. Oh, no, we went to Lonzo Ball straight okay. to Lonzo Ball. All right, good. Because oh, I, I want to talk about. Hold on, before you ask the question, Phil, bring you in for the question. Marco Fultz is not in the tournament. Washington didn't make it. We had a great Twitter question. 
Uh, the, the question was from at Camp Holmes ninety four. So Phil, shoot that question out. Um, I'll I'll summarize the question. His question: uh, the, the last the presumed number one pick this year, last year's number one pick Ben Simmons. They're both not playing in, in the tournament. Right. I just like a like two prong question. What does that mean for the tournament in general, as for the NBA prospect wise? If the two best prospects undoubtedly don't even make the tournament. I don't, the team's like terrible this year. Washington finished under 500. I don't know what LSU finished up under. They weren't good. They weren't good either. They, they the chose the not to get in the NIT. So what does that mean for yeah, evaluation-wise for the tournament? Because we've seen a couple guys for eyes. Kemble Walker comes to mind to me. So what does that comment? What do you just think in general of that? How crazy that is. They, they're not in tournament at all and they're going to be undoubtedly the more of it. I think it goes to show that NBA scouting and all pro scouting is so advanced and so in-depth at this point that it doesn't matter if somebody is pulling their team into the tournament because they can tell by watching them play, checking their stats, seeing their athleticism, seeing the way they move, the way they shoot, the way they pass, Mm -hmm. that they know they're such a surefire prospect. They can give two shits if they play in the tournament. Markel Fultz, clearly top prospect this year. Ben Simmons, same thing. It doesn't give GMs in the NBA any second of doubt, in my opinion. Joe? I think in regard to the tournament, it says more about the program than it does the player. I think LSU is still such an attractive destination, even for some basketball players. I mean, it's just a great school in general, and it's the same thing as Washington. I mean, these are the the choices that these players have made, and I think what goes along with it is that if you're a player and you're smart enough and you realize I'm going to be like the number one pick in the NBA draft – at, you know, at this point, you know you're going to be one and done. So, for them individually, I don't think it really matters as if, if they make the NCAA tournament or not. I think it's more of an indictment on the ability of a program to build a team that can get there. Mm-hmm. So, I, just, it, I don't really think they It care. makes me think why these kids choose these schools. That's that's what I have. This is what I think. Well, one is maybe like to make a name for yourself. Like, you know, you're not going to Kentucky. I think it's... I think it's Duke. A, could be something a little shady or who a knows. A lot of it about it's, it's, it's weird to me how these kids are so talented. Clearly, the top prospect. And they're going to Washington and LSU. They're not going to these schools that can be more exposure here. Well, Washington it's, is it's a odd school. to me. Washington gives out great prospects all the time. I mean, last year they had two top picks. Not top picks. They had uh, Marquise Chris, who's a top ten yes. pick. And they got Deontay Murray, who went to the Spurs. He was a great athlete. And, you know, he's a guy who maybe if he wasn't at Washington would have gotten more exposure and been a higher pick. But Washington's putting out NBA players all the time. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, Nate Robinson, um, Jam- Jam- Jamal Quincy Pondexter. Jamal, Cro- yeah, Jamal Crawford's from Washington. He didn't go to Washington. But, I mean, they're putting out prospects, and they got more coming. And somehow they keep pulling these guys in. So, I don't know. Maybe it talks about, like you said, it talks about the program, I, I, not the player. Yeah, I think a lot of it, too, is the coach. I think some coaches, the way they coach, are more ideally fit to for the player to transition to the pro level. Like, there are some coaches, like, we look at like, teams like John Calipari. I don't think his, his kind of coaching necessarily will translate the best, but he brings in so much top talent that it doesn't matter. Like, we're still going to pick. I think about Jim Calhoun at UConn. Yeah. I mean, Rudy, Rudy, Gay, Rudy, Rudy Gay, Campbell Walker, really only, only players who pan down the NBA. Right, yeah. Allen. <laughs> um, who's the guy uh, who won last year? Rick um, Pitino Nate, was the, the guy same. that he drafted. What? Napier? Shabazz. Shabazz yeah, Napier. Like, he was drafted high from UConn, and he's, he's nothing now. So just, well, that's, that's it was weird when, for me. That's how, when like, Kevin Ollie became yeah, a coach. It's just a weird, like, the talent. Right, but success it's success doesn't correlate to NBA. Right, like J- Jim Beheim had Carmelo Anthony, but Carmelo Anthony was a surefire thing. Yep. When you look at Syracuse's track record with players in the NCAA tournament, uh, and, not the NCAA tournament, just players in general, 
you look at their top picks over recent years, you have busts like Johnny Flynn and Wesley Johnson, and mm-hmm. those guys don't necessarily translate. It's the same thing with a guy like Rick Pitino in Louisville. Sometimes these like these coaches bring in players who they know are going to be who fit the the, the, the whole college, is, yeah. the whole is greater than the sum of its parts model, mm-hmm. right? And then there are coaches who are the, they get, they get the sum players who who are the one and dones who. I, it, it's it, it's a tricky question. I mean, think about. I'll just throw this out. There's, no, there's no right answer. Yeah, no, of course. Not. Let's think about a couple guys in the league right now: Paul George, Fresno State. Yep. Kawhi Leonard, San Diego yeah, State. State. Two of the best players in the in the yeah. In but the, in the Kawhi league. Leonard was also coached by Steve Fisher, who I think right. But I'm the saying, kind of coach who can who instill the, the the intangibles and the kind of mindset that you need to, su- to succeed at the next level. But I'm saying there's all these guys in the NBA who aren't at the, the most successful colleges. No. Uh, I'm trying to think a couple more off the top of my head. Um, there's a ton more. But it's not all about what they did at the college level if they're able to translate to the NBA. So it is super interesting. Also, Ben Simmons had a family connection at LSU, yes, which yeah. made him want to choose there. Look with Shaq too, right? Uh, Shaq was involved. Something, uh, cool. something, yeah. something like that. But yeah, I don't know. It's super interesting, and a lot of the best players in the league aren't the number one pick. Yeah, so they're I mean, also from schools. So many busts like, all over the place. Yeah, but that's all we got for today, man. We we touched that's on all we got. We, we touched um, all about an hour and a half. Touch about that. Yeah. See, um, Steph Curry, Davidson. So that's they, another good one. Another one. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, Clay Thompson, as Washington well. State. Washington State. State. Yep. Um. Oh, great! Now we're gonna just rattle off players for ninety <laughs> I don't seconds. The round with Texas. Texas is done. Too special. Uh, they're not a basketball powerhouse by any means. They're, not, they're nothing right now. I mean, James Harden went to Arizona State. Yeah. Russell this is West, true. Russell Westbrook went to UCLA, but UCLA has been bad for all these years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you think of a lot it's of the good while. players, it's a lot of one and dones. A lot of players who went there for a year starred. Michael, well, I mean, not Michael Beasley. It's a bad example. But he went to, to Kansas State for one year. Yeah. He was highly touted. And also, just speaking of uh, Davidson, you mentioned Steph Curry before. We actually have a guest coming on the podcast soon. That's a Sports Blog New York podcast. If you don't know that by now, I don't know how you listened to this whole time and didn't know. But we have a guy, a guy who played for Davidson with Steph Curry, a Staten Islander himself. His name is Steve Rossiter. He's going to be a guest on the podcast very soon. Uh, he's going to give us some insight on you know so some of the NBA players he knows. I mean, he, he was at Steph Curry's wedding. Uh, that's not the only reason why I bring him on. He's also a very knowledgeable basketball guy for college basketball. So maybe next week at some point we're going to get him on, break down the rest of the bracket moving forward, get his insight on college basketball and what it's like to actually play in the tournament. He made it to his Sweet 16. That's pretty special. He was in the national stage. He was, he, he was, was legit on, on the national stage. He was Cinderella. He was one of the first Cinderella I remember for my lifetime. And his brother was as well. So now with... Phil DeMeo, Joe Calabrese, my name is Peter Kennedy. Thank you for listening. Again, this podcast is on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate every listener. And have a good day. Enjoy the NCAA tournament. And join the bracket challenge for the opportunity to win the autograph signed picture of Magic Johnson. Stay warm. Great job, guys.